0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornette Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this educational yet inspiring episode of our podcast, two leading experts in the health and wellness movement, Alex Bilger and Aliza Skolnick, discuss wellness in the workplace and its implications for the commercial real estate sector. The two also weighed in on different frameworks of wellness and how companies are measuring the ROI of a healthier workforce.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Alex Spilger, Director of Sustainability at Cushman Wakefield, and I have the privilege of being here with...
0: Aliza Skolnick, the Director of the San Francisco office with ESD. We'll just go ahead and kick it right off here, um, Alex. I know that... At Cushman Wakefield, health and wellness is a really uh, important and integral part of your organization. So how does Cushman Wakefield approach health and wellness in the built environment?
1: That's a great question. We, We have the privilege, I think, being on the commercial real estate side to both implement wellness strategies for our clients, whether it's on the property management side or whether it's a new build out or an office renovation, as well as internally with our own offices. And it's been really exciting as Cushman has grown and gone through a couple mergers to have been able to sort of reevaluate what our culture looks like and what our spaces look like and to pursue systems like well certification, like FitWell for a lot of our new office spaces. On the client side, we're getting asked more and more often uh, about not just sustainable design, but healthy design. And the clients are recognizing that for every you know dollar they may spend in energy efficiency, they're spending potentially 100 times that amount on their people, and there's real ROI there in terms of tapping into healthier, um, I don't like to use the word more productive, it's really more engaged and happier people, and um, we're seeing that, we're seeing real tangible results with the projects we're working on.
0: So you mentioned well and fit well in that response. Um, can you take a step back and maybe explain a little bit more about what those certification systems are and uh, what's out there on the market now? I know there's there's a lot out in mm-hmm. of uh, frameworks on the market, so sometimes that can be a little bit confusing to to the clients and organizations. Can you explain a little bit about the differences between those?
1: Definitely. Yeah, we have had some clients say, oh, boy, another certification. Uh, But they really serve a different niche than the certifications that existed before, than the LEAD or the Green Globes, the Green Point Rated. Well uh, was first in the wellness space to sort of take that, that last category of LEAD focused on indoor health which only makes up 15% of the LEAD system and explode it into or blow it up into its own um, 100-point system entirely focused on human health. And that's resonated a lot, again, back to the ROI, because it's focused on people. And if you look at a system like, well, it touches similar categories or similar areas to LEAD, like air quality, like water quality, but it also looks at food um, and it looks at uh, the culture of an organization, which I think is really unique. Uh, Lead and other systems have been focused entirely on design and construction, whereas uh, FitWell and certainly Well are focused on not just the operations of the space, but the culture of the company. Um, I think there are some key differences aside from the fact that, that Well and FitWell are focused on human health. Um, well for example is a system where you've got different points and different strategies across many different categories. and A lot of flexibility even more so than lead with what you pursue and how you pursue it. So I think clients have really resonated with the fact that there are in some instances less prerequisites so to speak and more opportunities to explore um, sort of the outer edges of what's possible with human health and wellness. On the FitWell front, I think FitWell has served a really nice niche for those clients that maybe don't need or don't want the rigorous performance testing that's found in Well but still want to take strategies and implement um, design strategies, construction strategies that are more focused on the human health side of the built environment.
0: Great. I've also heard of a framework, of a third one not as uh, prominent in the market, I would say, but uh, definitely another health and wellness-related framework called RESET. It's much more popular in China and some of the more Eastern Asian countries, Um, so I'm interested to see also where that goes in the market. It focuses mostly on air quality Mm -hmm. uh, as its initial primary category, and a lot on ongoing monitoring and continuous performance metrics, so I'm excited to see where that goes as well.
1: That seems like, Aliza, it's really in your wheelhouse. You come at it from the MEP side with ESD. What are you seeing in the wellness space? What are you seeing clients express interest in? And how does the indoor quality piece kind of build in within the broader framework?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, From an engineering perspective, I think it's a really exciting time in the market. Uh, There's a lot going on with the Internet of Things people may have heard of, um, and we call it the wild, wild west of sensors now, Mm -hmm. so technology is uh, such a huge integral part now of the built environment and how things operate, and we're seeing this integration of health and wellness and technology and how that all comes together. You know, a third of the people um, in, in the U.S. are tracking their own personal health, whether that be through Fitbit or their some app on their phone or otherwise. Um, And now buildings and technology are starting to really track and monitor a lot of its performance and health and wellness metrics in the building as well in a very similar way. So we're seeing a lot of emphasis on indoor air quality, on uh, water quality, and measuring and tracking these over time. Mm Even in arenas outside of engineering, we're seeing a lot of monitoring and kind of understanding what the data is and how that can help even further the discussion on health and wellness and the impact that it has on employees. So for example, uh, furniture and furniture technology uh, as it relates to furniture is another Uh, huge growing market with all the sit-stand desks and everything that's integrated with the furniture solutions out there now. Um, We're seeing some just more and more data about how often are you standing versus sitting and what kind of effect can that have on your health and wellness. So it's just a really exciting time um, to be out there in the technology and the health and wellness market.
1: You mentioned the sit-stand desks, and as we're here at our San Francisco office um, overlooking uh, the the floor area, I think the sit-stand desks were the single most popular component of the wellness focus in our new office space. And a lot of employees have said, I will never go back To a stationary seated desk. Um, We were just talking today with a colleague who mentions that every night they reset the desks to the standing position, Mm -hmm. so sort of forcing the people to to sit, and that gets them thinking more about using those uh, standing desks uh, more often. Mm -hmm. Aliza, you sort of touched upon this. There's a lot of different technology that goes into the health and wellness space, and the big question from clients is ROI. How do you measure Mm -hmm. the increase in productivity? What are you seeing on your end and any any kind of more or less concrete results that have come out?
0: Yeah, that's a huge question now at the forefront, I think, of the health and wellness movement in the built environment. Um, there is a lot of of, I would say, concern and caution around using ROI and understanding what some of the actual hard data and studies that are out there now, um, because there's a lot of claims in regards to productivity or absenteeism. Um, we're seeing a much bigger Influence and engagement from a new stakeholder group that a lot of sustainability teams aren't used to seeing, which is HR. Mm-hmm. Human resources has been a new stakeholder in the game because there is a lot of information that we want to gather in terms of employee engagement, satisfaction um, through survey data or through other data in regards to uh, absenteeism. Mm-hmm. Um, sick time, etc. And that's a touchy subject sometimes, so it gets a little bit difficult. But there there are a lot of studies that are out there, um, especially that have been put out by organizations themselves doing data or surveys that have been done before and after a new build-out to try to gauge the... Uh, The benefits from the actual strategies in regards to health and wellness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are focusing on what this means in terms of investing in their human capital so how this affects attracting and retaining top talent, um, increasing satisfaction of their employees, so trying to gauge that, again, through a lot of of survey data, um, their satisfaction in the space and what that means to them, maybe even how productive that might make them, um, or things like reducing absenteeism, like I mentioned. There's also a lot of studies um, put out there by organizations like Harvard or or others that are trying to focus on how these design strategies uh, might affect an occupant.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the Harvard nine foundations of a healthy building. I hadn't heard that before.
0: Yeah, they just published a, this report uh, last year, actually. So it is fairly new onto the market. And they've done some fantastic studies that help bolster their nine foundations. So this report just kind of outlines um, the, the nine basic categories or foundations for a healthy building. And the intent was to publish this uh, these foundations that had a lot of research and science behind it. So one of the more popular studies that's out there is their cognitive effect study. And the biggest result of that was showing that uh, that occupants actually have a 101% increase in their cognitive functions in a space that's green certified and has better indoor air quality, Mm -hmm. especially for things like critical response tasks and information usage and uh, strategy. So it was a really interesting study, and there's a lot now, a lot more science and data behind some of these claims.
1: We saw some of that firsthand in terms of ROI and increased um, certainly health with our Mexico City office, which is pursuing well certification, just finished up construction and is in the process of... um, finalizing uh, the documentation, as I'm told. And here's a space that had all exterior offices to start, the old space, and not one but two vending machines in the office with every sugary, salty snack and soda pop that you can imagine. And it was a real cultural mind shift to pursue well and to move uh, most of the offices in the interior to actually get rid of a lot of the offices, to make it open office, to allow the daylight to penetrate through. It was really the vending machines that got the most pushback. People said, what are we going to eat without (laughs) these snacks there? Um, And kudos to the the leadership of our office. They said, this is the future. Um, We have to set the example. And people have said that the space... You know, lead lead projects affect maybe got them inspired or educated them. Mm-hmm. But this particular space and the well certification process has changed not just how they approach work and their office, but what they eat at home. Mm-hmm. One colleague said it's changed what they feed their kids, and that was a real, I think, powerful call it ROI or call it result of pursuing well for this particular office. And uh, I'm excited to get back down there. I got to see the before. I'm excited to see the after and, um, and people's reactions uh, in, in person.
0: So, you mentioned uh, culture and behavior a few times now and, and earlier when you were talking about the sit-stand desks as well. Uh, so, going beyond some of the design strategies uh, that are outlined in Well and Fit Well or others, what is the next step in terms of cultural change or behavioral change for health and wellness?
1: That's a great question. I think if you look at systems like Well and Fit Well, and, and especially Well with the focus on the mind category, and um, some of the names of the categories are changing in version two, it really does go beyond the design and construction process. And like you mentioned, Aliza, there's a big human resources component. And that's what I think gets a lot of our clients excited. I mean, granted, we're in California, and I've been told that, of course, California resonates with the mind category, <laughs> um, whereas other places, our, our teams in China are very focused on air quality because mm-hmm. that's the number one um, issue with, with health. But if you, if you dig into the details of some of these features, they're very innovative. Um, one of them is no sending emails after a certain time at night. I do have to remind clients that it's an optional feature, it's not required, <laughs> um, but talk about something that would really affect the culture of an organization that sort of work, work, work around the clock. Now you have it built in to your certification. You have to cut off at a certain point in time. Um, features like nap rooms. You know, the first time we installed a nap room, our client said, the first person to catch napping is fire. <laughs> and I said to the client, that's not really how this, this works, right? You build it, but it also has to become a part of the ethos. Of your organization, and we're seeing these systems stretch into the culture of companies. And I can say at Krishman, you know, one of the things we do well is providing a lot of autonomy and flexibility, and that in and of itself resonates um, very strongly with with our employees. Um, we talked about l- culture and sort of what's next. What are you seeing, Elisa, from your angle in terms of the future of the health and wellness space?
0: Yeah, big big question here. Um, there's so much movement in this arena that I think uh, there's just a lot, a, a, a far way this can go. Um, I mentioned earlier technology, and I really do think that's a huge component of where the industry is headed, and this convergence of technology with the health and wellness. And not only that, but the personal health and wellness with the built environment. Um, so it's saying, okay, we we might have implemented free address in the system, in, in the uh, in the build out and the design, so you can move to any desk that you want throughout a space. We might also have a thermal gradient across a space, so that there's some areas of your floor that are warmer or cooler than others. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're integrating that information with your own personal information that's being tracked on your phone, maybe about, um, uh, you know, you needing more daylight in order to help you kind of wake up because you didn't have a great night's sleep or something which is tracked through your Fitbit and you might be feeling kind of cool. So you're going to go, because of the free address, you're going to go sit in an area of the office that you know is uh, the temperature that you want, that gets the kind of light quality that you want, and um, that is a environment that's going to make you the most productive for that day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's this integration of your own your own personal health data and how you're tracking that, and then the response and integration of the building systems and how that can help you optimize your work day. Yep. And what about you, Alex? What would you say is kind of the next forefront in the uh, health and wellness industry?
1: I'm excited, again, to see to see a lot of these features applied more and more to not just spaces but organizations, um, you know, for every one new development that's taking place. There's a 100 offices that are existing or existing buildings or existing companies that can borrow some of these features. And we're working on an article coming out soon called The Value of Building Certifications Beyond Certifying Building. It's not just the question of should we get a plaque or not. It's really the question of how do we utilize the latest research, these science-based um, strategies research-backed strategies to borrow the best practices and influence both our spaces and the culture of organizations. And in terms of next steps, and I'll give a, a plug, we always get asked, what's, what's next for me as an individual? How can I get more involved? And uh, there are credentials out there. There's the WELL credential and the FITWELL ambassador credential. Aliza, uh, I know you have both of those. Um, I do. <laughs> and I, I recommend folks that are interested to, to check those out because it both gives you an accreditation that shows you've got a knowledge set in the space, but also um, gets you more tied to this movement and gives you some tangible knowledge and skills that you can apply to your next project or your organization.